As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by Subsplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And Subsplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app. It brings people together, empowers giving, and transforms lives. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com. That's S-U-B-S-P-L-A-S-H.com. Subsplash.com. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Well, fentanyl is a growing epidemic that we're all still learning about. And I met Jaime Puerta when our church in California hosted a memorial for those lost to fentanyl in our community. While many of us think it's just drug addicts who are dying, I think you'll learn it's much bigger than that and may be closer to home than you ever thought or imagined. Here's my conversation with Jaime Puerta. Hey, it's great to have you. I hate that we have to talk about what we're about to talk about, but fentanyl is such a huge issue in our country, especially, and nobody knows anything about it. Um, it's a, uh, a drug that often gets confused for something else. Uh, it's a drug that is often overlooked, um, but yet it's a drug that often gets inserted into other drugs that ends up killing people. This became a reality for you a few years ago with your son. So I'd love for people to know who you are and for you to tell us your story uh, and uh, what it is you're doing now. Oh, thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much for inviting me to your uh, your podcast. I think that I just want to reach as many people as possible. And uh, via this podcast, I think um, a lot of people will be a lot more educated than they were before on this. Um, and that's why I'm here. And, and again, thank you for the invitation. My name is Jaime Puerta. I am the um, president of Void, Victims of Illicit Drugs. You can find us at stopthevoid.org. Uh, the reason why I got into this space was because I had suffered a tragedy in my own family when um, when um, my own 16-and-a-half-year-old uh, son, Daniel, Puerta Johnson passed away on April the 6th of 2020 due to fentanyl poisoning. And I really didn't know what fentanyl was at the time. And I had to dig deep and to find out exactly what was happening. First, let me tell you a little bit of who Daniel was. Daniel was just a normal kid like anybody else. Uh, Daniel was a, a precocious, uh, in outgoing but at the same time very very shy type of kid he was in very intelligent just he he was just a very very smart kid he was the kind of um, young man that would take his shirt off to help anybody out he was the kind of kid who would watch a commercial from SPCA the animals the dogs and the orphan dogs and orphan cats and you could see his eyes well up with tears Mm. 
Uh, he had more friends than were girls and were boys because they said, one, he was really, really handsome, but two, that he gave the best boyfriend advice in the world. <laughs> so they would go to him. Um, and he was a, a, a perfect student, I guess you could say. Well, not perfect because nobody is perfect, but he was like straight A's and B's all up until sixth grade. Uh, we're from here, from Santa Clarita. We, of, we live off of Plum Canyon, so he went to elementary school at uh, Plum Canyon Elementary. Then he went to Arroyo Seco. When he went to Arroyo Seco, we noticed some changes. He became disinterested uh, or not interested at all in school, hmm. whereas before he was A and Bs, then all of a sudden his grades had dropped down to C, Ds, and Fs, uh, which forced him to go to summer school both in 7th grade, 8th grade, and ninth grade. Uh, we weren't too happy about that. We were trying to figure out what was going on. Took him to doctors. Uh, there was no drug use at that time. And uh, he came back with uh, ADHD. Mm. And he was also diagnosed with severe depression. Mm. Now, you figure, what, how, what does a kid have to be depressed about in, mm. in Santa Clarita? Mm -hmm. And we live in a middle to upper middle class uh, city, and you would think that we give these kids everything they want, so what would make them depressed? Well, it's not necessarily an outside factor that makes you depressed. It's just that it could be in your genes. And unfortunately, in my family, we have a lot of that. My, my own mother died of alcoholism when she was only 45 years old. So uh, Daniel was then, uh, when we got the, the, when we received the diagnoses of both ADHD and severe depression, uh, we had to get him on medication, which was, happened to be okay for him. It worked out. In ninth grade, uh, when he was in summer school, he was at Canyon Country High School doing summer school there. And Daniel at that time was a pretty big kid. He was six foot one, weighed 220 pounds, and one of the teachers there was a high school uh, football coach, and he goes, yeah, you have to play football. Mm -hmm. So he got in contact with Coach Bourne over at Saugus High School and, and talked to him about Daniel. And so Daniel, when Daniel started his uh, 10th grade at Saugus High School, he joined the football team, and he absolutely loved it. You know, he was with the cool kids. He was mm -hmm. popular with the girls. His grades got up, you know, they were no longer C's and D's, so they were getting to C's and B's, so we, it was a, you know, we were really, really, truly happy of what was happening. But once football season was over, it seemed like everything turned very dark and very quickly. He, he began experimenting first with marijuana, and then he got into Xanax. And it got to the point where, because California is the way it is, we couldn't put him in a rehab of any kind, because had he wanted to check himself out, he could have. So... We sent him to a place called Wingate Wilderness Therapy in Kanab, Utah, and it was the best thing that could have ever, ever happened to him. He was there for two months with a bunch of other boys hiking through the Zion National Park, learning life skills, learning how to do fires, how to cook for himself. And when I went and saw him and went six weeks in, I could see and I experienced, I got my son back. I got my son back. I got the old Daniel back. And mm -hmm. all he said to me goes, I can't wait to get back because I need to catch up. He was a year behind in high school work. So he worked his tail end off and he he caught up to his grade. He was he was thriving. He was doing great. And then on the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit on March 15th. And we feel that that really did a number on him because he wasn't able to socialize with his friends. He couldn't be with his girlfriend. He was locked away in his bedroom six, seven, eight hours a day. 
just doing work and then at night playing with video games but not being able to socialize and we feel that that had a tremendous effect on his mm. on his mental health and unfortunately on uh, March 31st he reached out uh, to a drug dealer on Snapchat bought what he thought was a blue M30 oxycodone pill but what was delivered to him was a fake pill a counterfeit pill made to made to look exactly like an oxycodone pill. He consumed half of that on the evening of March 30th. And when I walked into his bedroom on April the 1st, I found my son in a position or I saw something that no parent should ever see. And that's the the lifeless body of your own child. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I mean, it was just, you know, it was, it was just... <laughs> You know, I, I've been, I was in the Marine Corps. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I can tell you, even though I didn't see war, I still saw some pretty gnarly things. But I was, and I lived in Colombia as well and lived mm. through the uh, <laughs> the trafficking wars with Pablo Escobar and all that. And I seen a lot of death, but I had never seen anything like that. Was, so seeing your own son lifeless that way was pretty tremendous. Uh, hurt on me and my sister and my wife. And, but um, anyways, uh, I called the emergency services. They picked them up. They first took him to Henry Mayo Hospital, and then from Henry Mayo, uh, they sent him to. They took him to Los Angeles Children's Hospital, where later that night, a team of doctors came and told us that you know that Daniel there was nothing they could do for him. That mm. all they could really do is keep him comfortable. Uh, that uh, he was in a very deep coma. He had lost all his brain. Uh, function and the only thing that was working for him was just his his breathing and even that needed help and uh, but that they were going to keep him comfortable until we decided that we didn't want to continue with keeping him on life support so that was about April 1st both Denise Johnson his biological mother and I stayed with him every single night um, I came home that first night and, ha- and found half a pill on top of his dresser and I took that with me to the hospital the next day they sent that to the Santa Clarita Sheriff's Station, and, where a detective picked up, should I say, from the hospital. They did an analysis on it, and two weeks after Daniel's passing, approximately two weeks, a detective from uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office came to my home. And when I asked what took my son's life, they said, we're very sorry, Mr. Puerta, but your son died of an overdose. I go, an overdose? I go, yeah, and what did he overdose on? He goes, well, he overdosed on fentanyl. But I started thinking, Pastor Rusty, I go, you know, I found half a pill that looked through my research, looked exactly like a blue M30 oxycodone pill. And I asked the detective, and I go, well, it looks like what my son was consuming was a an M30, a blue M30 oxycodone pill. So how do you figure that hmm. fentanyl was in it? He goes, well, it was a counterfeit. And I go, well, then by you saying that, then it wasn't an overdose. It was a poisoning because Daniel was not trying to consume fentanyl. Daniel was trying to consume a blue M30 oxycodone pill, and that's what he consumed. He consumed half of it, and it took his life. Once I found out the what had taken his life, I went onto the Internet, and I came across thousands upon thousands of other families across this nation who had also lost their very young children to this poisoning, to this, to this. And then so I started, you know, I started really re- researching this, and... The reason why we have so many young people dying, well, first and foremost, let me go back a little bit. Most parents feel like this can never happen to them. Due to the stigma of addiction and overdose, most people feel like this can never, ever happen to them because their children do not use drugs on a recreational basis or are not addicted to drugs. 
What parents fail to realize, though, is that there are a lot of outside factors that will want or will make a child want to go out and try drugs, whether that be self-medicating due to stress at home between mom and dad, parents are going through a divorce, children are, are stressed out, their relationships with their friends are not so good, their grades are suffering, so they're stressed out about that, emotional trauma, physical trauma, a whole host of reasons why a child will want to do drugs if they and another thing too is that i don't know why but this generation of children just doesn't seem to be equipped with the correct coping skills to be able to overcome very stressful situations so when they don't have coping skills and they have this kind of stress in their life they're going to want to self-medicate or they're going to want to try drugs because believe it or not there's you know a study just came out where children between the ages of 11 and 17 were asked uh, who is your biggest influence in your life, your parents, your teachers, or your friends? And 92.5% of them responded, your friends. So when you have a 14-year-old boy talking to another 14-year-old boy saying, hey, why don't you take this? It made me feel really good. They're going to follow that advice. And while right. you're off at work, they just might reach out to that drug dealer uh, through a social media app like Snapchat or Instagram and, and buy that pill. So this is what's happening in today's day and age is that many of our children, like in 2021 alone, we had 107,611 drug deaths in the United States. 80,214 of those drug deaths were due to fentanyl and fentanyl-related substances. Really? 11,000 of those 80,000 were children between the ages of zero to 17. Mm. Think about that. Wow. So you're talking about a 9-11 event almost every two to two and a half weeks in this country, and yet nothing is being done, quite frankly. Much is doing about, done about it. And I feel like mm. um, we're failing as a society in, in warning these children. And again, due to the stigma of addiction and overdose, parents are not talking to their kids. And quite frankly, the whole drug supply in the United States has now been tainted with fentanyl. Okay, so let me ask you this, because, I mean, you say a 9-11 event every two and a half weeks. I mean, that is, that is mind-boggling, and the fact that we're not hearing about it at all. Is it because we just assume this is somebody else's problem? We just assume, my kids aren't into drugs, I'm not into drugs. But what you're telling me is, it's not like people are going out, and I'm sure there are, but the normal amount of people going out buying drugs aren't looking for fentanyl. They're just obtaining it, and they don't even know it. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app, or your app seems to be a little bit limited, check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages, and you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry subsplash.com okay back to our episode so they're obtaining it without their knowledge or without their consent mm. so it's not that the drug dealers are trying to kill their their customers what they're trying to do is they're trying to drive the addiction into them gotcha so they are they are lacing cocaine like recreational drugs like cocaine and black market cannabis and i'll explain to you a little bit more about that in a minute but you know remember not too long ago last year we had four comedians in venice beach and all of them 
had mm. gone out and three of them died and it was all due to fentanyl poisoning. Mm. If you think about, um, and they were all, con they had all consumed cocaine. Mm -hmm. Just a day before yesterday on the Macy's garage parking lot, they mm. found a gentleman who had been in his car dead for two days and now they come to find out that it was an overdose, which was probably fentanyl, oh, just my. right here in Santa Clarita. Right. And I can tell you that many, many, many children between the ages of the high school kids Last year alone, I mean, from Saugus High School, and, and I know from Valencia High School, have passed away. I won't mention their names because I don't have their parents' uh, uh, permission to state their names. But we had a girl in, in Central Park during concerts at the park who dropped dead, and it turns out she was 17 years old. She did a line of cocaine, not knowing there was fentanyl in that cocaine, and it killed her. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, a young man who was just graduating from Saugus High School, his brother found him dead mm -hmm. in his bedroom due to fentanyl poisoning. And again, mm -hmm. it's not that these kids are trying to find fentanyl. It's just that fentanyl is absolutely everything. We also hmm. live in a society that has normalized um, pill-taking in the United States to such a degree that you turn on daytime TV and that's all you see are right. commercials about... When a drug either for rashes or for cancer or for you know diabetes right, or right. or a whole host of other problems and you know or their parents themselves are taking you know um, synthetic opiates like oxycodone or oxycontin or Percocet because of work related accidents or there's just people in our you know in our society who live with the most you know unimaginable pain that they need to take very strong uh, pain pills or even have fentanyl patches. And that's just, there's a difference between prescribed fentanyl and illicit fentanyl, right? Hmm. The prescribed fentanyl has been around since 1959. They use it in the operating rooms and emergency rooms all across the nation for people who have suffered the most horrendous um, uh, physical injuries. The illicit fentanyl that we're talking about I know one of the uh, precursors to it is AANP4 and then a whole host of other chemicals that they put in it, but it's not, there's no, there is no quality control into making these pills and nobody is measuring the amount of fentanyl that you put into cocaine. So for them, I mean, if their customer dies, that's just the cost of doing business. And for those who don't die, they become addicted to it almost immediately because it's 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine and heroin. So a lot of these children are dying and, and not because they want to die, it's because they've been deceived. They've been deceived, you know. And again, these kids, whether you like it or not, they're very curious. And, you know, we have music that normalizes it. We have a culture that's normalized drug use. They want to be cool. They want to belong to a certain group of friends. Or again, they're stressed out you know, or there's problems at home or they're having problems with their relationships and they're going to want to try. But unfortunately, these are not the drugs of the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, or even the early 2000s. It's because the whole drug supply has been tainted with fentanyl. Mm. So this tragedy happens in your life. You begin to get educated very quickly as to what's going on, what happened to your son. What was your next step? Was it the documentary that you put out? I'd love for you to tell our listeners about that. Was it to start an organization? You decided it is now going to be your life mission to get the word out so that people don't have to suffer this way like you have. That's correct. Well, one of the first things that we did is I, I found other parents um, here in Southern California who had suffered the same fate as I had, who had lost their children too. Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, 
like Alexander Neville, 14 years old, skateboarder kid from uh, San Aliso, Aliso Viejo, California, mm -hmm. you know, a surf town type kid. Mm. Just at a skate park, one knucklehead 14-year-old and takes a pill and dies, mm. you know. Steve Filson's daughter, Jessica Filson, who ordered a gram of cocaine to celebrate the the finding of an apartment who got her life together and is now wanting to celebrate the cocaine was tainted. Or, you know, Matt Capoloto, whose daughter Alexandra, straight A student from Arizona University, suffered from insomnia, orders a Percocet on Snapchat and or it was an oxycodone and it was fake pill and she dies. So we got together with these parents and the first thing that we did is we we toured Southern California we visited the county sheriffs. At that time, we visited Alex Villanueva, who was the county sheriff, Los Angeles County Sheriff. Mm -hmm. um, Goff, I think was his name, from San Diego County. Uh, sheriff Barnes from Orange County. Uh, mm -hmm. Sheriff Bianco from Riverside. And the five of us, or four parents, we went there with eight by 10 pictures of our children. We explained who our children were in life. And one by one, we started seeing the light bulb going off in their brains and said, wait a minute, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we have a Houston, we have a problem. Right. Because when law enforcement sees these deaths, they equate them to overdoses. And if they equate them as an overdose right off the bat, they're not going to investigate. No. So, what these uh, sheriff's departments did to credit up their own, once they heard of us or once they heard our stories, they began fentanyl task forces and they started uh, uh, prosecuting. Uh, not the persons who were addicted to drugs, but started prosecuting the, the drug dealers, people who go around, who are like mass murderers, in my own opinion, going around in a car, getting a message on Snapchat, going to a home and delivering these pills. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing we did. Wow. And then in, in, uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of a documentary, a documentary called Dead on Arrival that was um, directed by um, Dominic Tierno and produced by Christine Wood out of Orange County. Uh, who saw Amy Neville's story from Alicia Viejo again, Alexander, and then she invited myself, Steve, and Matt Capoloto to be a part of this documentary. And basically what the documentary does, it's the doc. it features four families. All four families went through the same tragedy that I did, of course, and, and we t talk about what happened to our children, and it basically has been used across the nation for educating both children and parents alike and raising awareness in our communities about the dangers of... Of, of any kind of drug use. And once children see that, they understand that they have to be very careful. Like here, I know for the, the William S. Hart School District, the documentary was shown all, to all of them. All of the schools in Orange County, I know Simi Valley uh, School District also did the same thing. Um, and it's been shown across the nation. Again, I've been everywhere with this documentary. And also, uh, I do also parent fentanyl uh, seminar nights where we'll get parents in an auditorium and, and I'll give them a presentation. I'll show the documentary first and then I'll go in to a PowerPoint, which I promise is not boring, but <laughs> really enlightens them of what exactly they're dealing with and why children would want to use drugs and what parents and equip parents with the tools that they will need so that their families do not suffer the same tragedy that mine did. So you mentioned that you're headed to the White House soon. You've worked with them in the past. You've been on all kinds of national uh, television shows to discuss this. What's your objective when you get to the White House working with the team there? Well, that's a great question. That's a fantastic question. So, yes, I was invited to the White House for August 31st, which is uh, Na National uh, Drug Overdose Awareness Day. 
and it talks about all kinds of drugs. We want to kind of distinguish it, not that we're stigmatizing people who overdose on drugs that are addicted to drugs, but we want to clear that, uh, draw a line that's clear distinction, the fentanyl poisoning as well, because a lot of, again, a lot of these kids are being deceived to death. Uh, one of the things I want to ask them for is money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask them for money because there's a lot of um, what they call um, these drug coalitions who have been tasked in our cities to bring the education to children. But there's certain and they apply for these grants, but these grants come with a lot of strings attached mm-hmm. where they have to fulfill so many hours of drug education in the schools, uh, handing out naloxone, which is a a medicine that reverts or reverses a drug, uh, an opioid uh, overdose or poisoning. And so our foundations, foundations made up of bereaved parents, we really don't fall in any kind of one category. Mm. So we're, we're like the, the stepchild that doesn't fit in everywhere. You know, we, we okay. just don't fit in. Mm-hmm. And we don't qualify for any of the grants that are out there. So we want to ask them probably if, how we can get some funding because... You know, it's it's expensive uh, traveling around the country and and getting this education in the schools. We've been very very blessed, and we just paired up. We uh, San Bernardino County has a giant fentanyl initiative, and they partnered with Victims of Illicit Drugs with our foundation. Okay, so we're very very happy about that. We just recently partnered with the Los Angeles Police Department as well, where we're going into underprivileged neighborhoods in Compton and Hawthorne, Mm. Watts, uh, where there's public housing and they have a huge, huge drug uh, gang uh, problem where the gangs are actively uh, recruiting uh, kids into the gangs and having them sell fentanyl, things like that. So we're going into these high schools as well and, and presenting there. And also the documentaries is also is in Spanish, so I, I'm bilingual, so I give these uh, uh, seminars in, in Spanish as well. But the White House, is, it's, 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 it'll be my second time there. Uh, I was there last year as well. And uh, if anything, uh, we just want the administration to listen to us. Um, we want them to give us some kind of funding so that we can continue doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I have a full-time job. I have my own business, and uh, you know how it is to run a business. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure running a parish this big right. has all of its challenges as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, if I could dedicate myself 100% of the time to this, mm-hmm. and I would do so, but I have to make a living. I still have to a family to provide for, my wife and, and Daniel's mom. My family unit now is... My wife, Daniel's mom, mm-hmm. and my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's us. And that's who I got to take care of, and I got to make sure they're okay, too. Mm. But our foundation has been doing a lot. We have really accomplished a lot in the short time that we've been in existence since June of 2021. And, again, all we want to do is just uh, raise the awareness in our communities and educate families and, and just let them know that we're not trying to scare them, but we need them to be understand that one mistake mm-hmm. is all that it takes yep. for a child to lose his or her life. Mm-hmm. And our children are not supposed to die from their mistakes. They're supposed to learn from them. Mm. They're supposed to learn from them. Your wristband says one pill, one line, one time. That's how quick it can be. That's how quick it can be. Yeah. All you need is two milligrams or more of fentanyl in there, and you're dead, and you're gone. Tell me where people can find out more. People can find out more at stopthevoid.org. Again, that is stopthevoid.org. 
You could go on to our website. The documentary is front and center. Mm -hmm. uh, I just gave a presentation to 300 mental health professionals from the Los Angeles Unified School District who watched this documentary and they were blown away. Mm -hmm. These mental health counselors are the ones who are in charge of the PSWs, what they call them as psychological social workers in both junior highs and high schools all throughout the Los Angeles Unified School District. We are partnering with them now and they're going to start watching the documentary. A lot of these teachers and mental health advocates came up to me afterwards and say, I'm sitting down with my children tonight. Mm. I will not go another night without watching this documentary with mm -hmm. them. Thank you so much. You're helping save lives. And it's not that, you know, everything that I do is not on a foundation of ego or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I, I have, um, and I get emotional, but, you know, had it not been for my faith in God, mm. that he's using myself and the other parents for a better, I'm not going to let my son's death go in vain. His his death cannot go in vain. There has to be a reason behind it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it is us to, trying just to bring this educational awareness about that. that is what our purpose on life is. It's not every day that you wake up, and not too many people wake up every day knowing what they have to do on that day to get mm -hmm. by. I do. Every day I get up, I know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. and And so... I could use all the help possible. You go to stopthevoid.org. You can donate to us, too. We're a 501c. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it, it would be truly appreciative. And please, 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 if anything, watch the documentary with your teenagers. Yeah. I highly recommend that. I've seen it. It's fantastic. It's 20 minutes or something. That's it's, correct. Yeah. I mean, it, what a valuable use of time for parents and their kids especially, but to watch it together, talk about it hear what their kids have to say, educate them as well as yourself. And this has been, um, it's been a joy to have you uh, on the podcast. Thank you, Pastor I'm Rustin. grateful to have reconnected with you at our Fentanyl Awareness event we did here at the church. Absolutely. Uh, but praying for you and what's next for you and, and the way God's using you to, to help save a lot of lives. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you. And all your listeners, thank you so much for listening to me. And remember, uh, not that I wanted to, but this can also affect your families. And your best weapon against this evil is education and awareness. You have to know what's going on. And also be very aware of what your children are doing on their cell phones. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Stopthevoid.org. That's correct. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you to Jaime and thank you to you for listening. And maybe somebody in your world could benefit from hearing his story and checking out some of their resources. Thank you to Subsplash for sponsoring the podcast today. It's been a difficult topic, but one that we did want to simplify a little bit to help us understand it so that out of understanding, we could find and bring healing. Make sure you subscribe and share the podcast and as always, leave a review. And we'll be back next week with a conversation um, that it's just me. And I'm going to be telling my story a little bit and why... I decided it was time for me to leave Real Life Church. We'll be back next week. As always, keep it simple. Mm -hmm.